0: All right. Good evening, everybody. I am so glad to be here with you tonight. If you would, please make use of the chat section tonight. Let us uh, know who is joining in for the live stream. I also mentioned this morning that we want this to be as interactive as possible. So if you guys have any comments or questions as we go, uh, please feel free to, to, to put something in the chat section tonight. And uh, before we pray and get into all of your questions, and once again, you kids never disappoint. You have come up with some outstanding questions, fresh, brand new questions, uh, which just shocks me. We've had, what, four or five of these now, and you guys are not even duplicating the questions. Brand new questions, so I really appreciate that. And uh, before we pray, I want to let you know that, you know, Miss Christina, my wife is in America right now, But uh, she's spending time in another church there, and they have a lot of activities for the youth, for the young people in their church. And Miss Christina is is taking notes. She is learning about different events and different uh, fun things that we can do with the youth. So as soon as she gets back, we are going to implement. We're gonna start doing a lot of those things. And uh, you know what I think would be great is if one day in the near future, we've got a lot of sickness going on in pots right now, so we've got to be careful. But as soon as everybody's feeling a bit better, I think it'd be great to rent a jumping castle. And we'll have a bride there at the church, and we'll have a jumping castle for the kids as well. So we're going to start having some more activities with you guys. And uh, just wanted to let you know that so you have something to look forward to. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our questions. Father, thank you this evening. Uh, for the opportunity to open the Bible and get answers. God, our answers come from you. And Lord, I thank you for these kids. I thank you for the young people in our church that are uh, that are inquiring, asking these questions and thinking about spiritual things. And God, might you tonight give them the answers that they need. Bless our time together. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, I'm just checking the comments to see who is saying hello So I'm saying hello back to all of you at the same time. Just know that, but appreciate you joining in. If you hadn't joined in earlier, just now joining, please drop us a quick comment to let us know that you were with us. We'd appreciate that. All right, first question tonight. Why don't the Jews believe in Jesus? Now, you know that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, those were God's chosen people. He chose the nation of Israel Uh, because it wasn't because of anything great that they had done. And it wasn't because of their great behavior. It was because God made a promise to Abraham. And then Abraham had children. There was Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God chose them because of Abraham's uh, good relationship with God. Now, God promised that one day he would bring the Messiah, the Savior, into the world And that the Messiah would be Jewish. And it really does make you wonder, why don't the Jews then believe in Jesus? What is the problem? Well, now, you could go to every individual Jew and ask that person, that man or woman, why don't you believe in Jesus? And it's not that everybody would give you a different answer, but there would be a lot of different answers. All right. So it's very difficult to say there's just one reason why the Jews don't believe in him. But... I'll tell you one big reason. I've chosen this verse here, Acts chapter 13, verse 27. The Bible says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, they didn't know who Jesus really was, that he was the Son of God, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. So in the Old Testament, you read that when the Messiah comes, he would be rejected. Now, why did the Jews, for the most part, there were some that believed in him, but why did the, most, the majority of them reject him? They were not familiar with the prophecies from the Old Testament. It says here, they did not know him, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. If I can put it plainly, they didn't read their Bibles they were not familiar with what the Bible said about the Messiah and what he would do when he came. So most of the people thought that when the Messiah comes, the Savior, when he comes, he is going to destroy the enemy of the Israelites, which at that time was the Roman people. They thought the Messiah would destroy the enemy and give us back our land. That's all they thought he would do. So we say that They thought the Messiah would be a conquering king. Now, one day he will be. When Jesus comes back, he will conquer and he will uh, establish his kingdom on the earth. But what the Jews didn't realize, in the Old Testament, over and over again, the prophets talked about how the Messiah would first, before he conquered, he would have to suffer and that he would lay down his life for the sins of mankind. All of our iniquities would be laid on him. The Jews didn't know that part. They didn't see that as being connected to the Messiah. So when Jesus came, not as a conquering king, but meek and mild, he came not as a lion, but as a lamb ready to be offered for the sins of mankind. The Jews, that confused them. And I think the major contributing factor was they were not familiar with the Bible. And that's why when the Jews asked Jesus, they wanted proof from him, you claim to be the son of God, you claim to be the Savior, the Messiah. Now, we want evidence. And Jesus said, all right, if you're not going to take my word for it, then there are some different places and people you can talk to. You can ask John the Baptist. Now, at that point, John had already passed away. But he said, just look at what John had to say. John said that I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, the Jews, for the most part, liked John. So he said, if, if you doubt me, then what about John the Baptist? He said, other evidence, look at the miracles I'm doing. I'm doing so many, doesn't that support the idea that I'm the savior, the Messiah? And he said, if that's not enough, my father spoke from heaven and said that I was his beloved son. And he said, finally, if you're not gonna believe any of that, John 5, 39, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. So the Jews knew about the Bible. They had a Bible. And they would go to the synagogue and somebody would read the Bible, but they'd only read little bits and pieces. They wouldn't read all of it. And he says, you guys think you have eternal life by keeping the Sabbath day and keeping these Old Testament laws, but you're forgetting all of those parts in the Old Testament that talk about me. He says, so if you want evidence for me, search the scriptures. So I think that's one of the big reasons the Jews do not believe in Jesus. Uh, They... Didn't, they're not familiar with the prophecies from the Old Testament. All right, now that that's a question, like I said, we could address some other reasons that Jews don't believe because there are several, but I think that's the biggest one. All right, hi from Yvonne and Mikey. Great. <laughs> I want to know, did, it, now Michael, Sila was it, Yvonne or Mikey that wrote that that comment there. (laughs) That's great. Glad to have you guys with us. All right, second question. Does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Great question, great question. I'm gonna take you to John chapter nine and verse 31. Jesus healed a blind man in this passage. And the blind man is talking to the Pharisees and to the rulers down there at the synagogue. And he says this, now we know that God heareth not sinners but if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will him he heareth so bear in mind that this blind man who just got healed doesn't know the bible very well he doesn't know jesus very well and he is speaking from what he from from the little bit of knowledge that he has and he says we know that god heareth not sinners so what he's saying here is actually true he's right about this but he doesn't, he doesn't like go deep into teaching this. He doesn't say a lot more because he's not aware of how deep this goes. So I'm gonna to try to break this down a little bit more. When we talk about God hearing prayers, God can hear everything we do, right? His eyes work, his ears work. So when, when somebody's speaking, God is aware of it. Now, when we talk about God hearing the prayers, God can hear it, but is he going to answer the prayer of an unbeliever? Well, I can give you one example where God always hears the prayer of an unbeliever. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if an unbeliever says, Lord Jesus, please save me. I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to be punished, but I know you took my punishment for me. Please save me. Come live in my heart. God always answers that prayer. And it's an unbeliever praying it. Now, that teaches me something, right? If a person is an unbeliever, now maybe no one has explained the gospel to them yet, but they are genuinely out of a broken heart saying, God, please help me. They don't even know what to pray for yet. They may not even know what kind of help they need, all of the help they need. God can look down in mercy and have pity on that person and say, bless your heart. No one's explained to you how to be saved, but you're asking for food because you're hungry. You're asking for money because you need to pay your school fees. Now, would God look down and say, oh, but that person's not saved, so I'm not gonna help them with food or school fees or something like that. Well, there are plenty of verses in the Bible that indicate God is able to hear that prayer and even answer it. I'm gonna give you an example just now. All right, Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus said this, "'But I say unto you, love your enemies, Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So God is mindful even of an unjust person, that is an unsaved person. God is still aware of what that person needs and is willing to take care of them. So what do we do with that verse that says, God heareth not the, uh, the prayers of sinners? We, we saw that in John 9 just a moment ago. How do we understand this? God heareth not sinners. The word sinner in the Bible. Now let's understand we're all sinners. All of us have broken God's law somewhere. We purposely did something wrong. All of us, everybody. But And in that way, we're all sinners, okay? But In the Bible the word sinner is used in a different way. Sometimes you find people that are purposely trying to do bad things all the time. And that person is often called a sinner because they are trying to do something bad. And then you have somebody that is trying to do good or right. So that person will be called a good man or a righteous man because they're trying to do the right thing. So with this we have the righteous, we have the wicked. We have the good, we have the sinner, all right? So you need to understand those two sides of it. If somebody is purposely trying to do wrong, then God will not hear that person's prayer. That's what we're learning from John 9, verse 31, all right? When it says, we know that God heareth not sinners. In this case, if Jesus were a false prophet and purposely misleading people, then there's no reason to believe that God would hear Jesus when Jesus says, God, please heal this person, right? That's what this man is trying to say here. So I hope that that answers the, the question. Uh, usually this kind of question, there's uh, some small detail that they're wanting to know. So whoever asked this, if, if there's something else to this question, feel free to drop it in the uh, in the chat section and I'll try to deal with it. All right, Michael and Celia, I'm gonna, forgive me guys, I'm gonna use this uh, button here. I I don't know if, hey, there it is. I'm able to put it up on the screen. Michael and Sila Boeta, Big brother. Is it Ivan 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 I hope I'm saying it correctly. I would say Evan, but that's just the American in me. All right, good deal. I'm glad that you guys are with us. All right, next question. Let me see if I can get back over to this section. <laughs> now that I'm learning how to play with all the buttons on this program. Next question. I've never had this question before. Why did God choose Samson? Very straightforward, very to the point. I like it. Why did God choose Samson? Now why is this person asking this question? Samson was not a great guy. I mean when you look at his life overall, he wasn't really a great guy. Um, He did several things wrong. So why did God choose him? Why did God use him? And I think the answer to this question, you're going to find it at the end of the book of Judges. By the way, his story you find in Judges chapter uh, 15, 16, right in there. 13 to 16, actually. But Judges 21 verse 25, it's the last verse in that book. It says, in those days, that is the days of the judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There were very few people doing what was right. Very few. Everybody now now right in the eyes of God. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. So the standard for what was a good man, the, let's say, when you were looking around for people that could be used to serve God, there weren't many choices. There weren't a lot of good choices. So Samson, if we can say this, he was the lesser of all the evils so when God looked down, there was none that doeth good, no, not one. He said, well, I really don't have a good option. But Samson, even though he's got a lot of problems, I, I, I think at the least he's going to make some effort and I will be able to use him and fulfill certain purposes. So I believe that's why God chose him. Now, we do know that Samson, even though he had his problems, he ended up all right. He learned his lesson. He had to. He, he took a few knocks, right? He had his eyes poked out, which is very rough, had his hair shaved, which was a big deal back then for for him. He was what we call a Nazarite. So to have your head shaved was a a great shame and embarrassment. But that hair grew back. He got his strength back. He said, God, use me one more time. And God did. But it wasn't because Samson was uh, such a great guy. It was because everybody else was so bad off that the little bit of good we saw in Samson God was able to use. So that, that's an interesting question. But that shows me that you're that shows me that you're reading the book of Judges. Or maybe mom and dad are is helping you with the stories from the book of Judges. And that's great because there's a lot of things you can learn from that part of the Bible. All right. This one, this is an interesting question. I've never even thought about this. Whoever came up with this, man, well on you. This is great. Good on you. All right, it says, what happened? The question is, what happened to the bones in Ezekiel 37 after they were brought back to life? Huh. Now, maybe you're not familiar with the story, so let me read you a few verses here. Ezekiel 37 in verse 1. As you can see, the title that this Bible program gives it, it's called the Valley of Dry Bones. So God is going to give Ezekiel this vision And it's a prophecy. He's going to show him what is going to happen. So verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and, lo, they were very dry. Verse 3, And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest verse 4 again he said unto me prophesy upon these bones preach to them and say unto them oh ye dry bones hear the word of the lord now you know i'm going to do this i can't i can't help myself every time i read this passage i can't get the song out of my head i'm i'm sure most of you kids know this right them bones them bones them dry bones now hear the word of the lord well th- Ankle bone connected to the shin bone, and the shin bone connected to the knee bone, and the knee bone connected to the thigh bone, now hear the word of the Lord. You can just go all the way up and down the skeleton. It's a very fun song to sing, but in any event. All right, this is where that song comes from, right? Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, now hear the word of the Lord. In verse 5, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Verse 6, and I will lay sinews upon you. That's like muscles, tendons and all of that. And will bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, verse 8, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So the, it was a complete person, but the person wasn't alive because no breath. Verse 9, then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and save the wind. Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, four, four directions. O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So these are people that were alive, were killed in battle, and then their bones have been laying there in that valley. And now they've been put back together, covered with with skin, and God says I'm putting breath back in you. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. So these were soldiers. Now they're Back in, the, back in the army. Verse 11, then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. So we've been pushed out of our land. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of my graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. So, what Ezekiel saw was a prophecy. I do not think that the bones that were on the ground then came back to life right we came back together god put the skin on put the breath in i don't think that happened historically i think god allowed ezekiel to see it back then in 580 something bc but this is something that's going to happen in the future israel will one day be resurrected So Israel's complaint was, we're cut off, we're done, we're finished, God, you've allowed us to be destroyed. And God says, well, you have been destroyed, but one day, you can see it here in verse 12, all my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your grave. So he hadn't done it yet, but he said, one day I will. And then when I do that, you'll know that I'm the Lord God and I brought these things to pass. So even the Apostle Paul spoke about this day, Romans 11 verse 25, He says, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So some people were saying God is completely finished with the Jews and will never help them again. And Paul says, that's not true. Don't get proud, Gentiles. A Gentile is somebody who's not Jewish. Don't get proud. God is going to help them again. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So one day those Jews that died way back then, they will rise from the dead and be a part of that kingdom. Right? So I don't think that those bones actually came back together in the days of Ezekiel. All right. So i that's the best answer I can give to that. It's not as if those bones came back together and then they lived out the rest of another life, right? If when God does raise somebody from the dead, that is what happens, right? You do read about a few people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. And you read many in the life of Jesus, right? He raised people from the dead. What did they do? They lived out the rest of their natural life and then at one point died again. So if those bones in Ezekiel 37 came back to life, they would have lived out the rest of their natural life and died again. But I don't think that happened back then. I think it was a prophecy, but great question. Very good insight on that. All right, now I am putting these questions out there in the order that they came to me, just so you guys know. Uh, I'm just trying to say I don't have a special order to this. So we got a few questions tonight about Satan, and I don't want you to be worried about that. Moms and dads, don't get worried that your kids ask questions about this. This is good actually. They need to know, right, that there is an enemy and uh, know some of the details about him so that they don't uh, grow up ignorant of it, right? The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're not to be ignorant of his, Satan's, devices. So these are good questions here. When God created Satan, how did his body look? I've given you a few options on the screen here. One place in the Bible. It says that the devil is as a roaring lion. Remember that, 1 Peter 5? He's like a roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. So I've given you a roaring lion. And then there's another verse in the Bible that talks about the devil being a great red dragon. So you can see that just below me. And then I have a little flame of fire there in the middle. I thought that was fitting. And then on the other side, I guess it's the right-hand side of your screen, you see this little cartoon picture of the devil. And a lot of people, when they think of the devil, that's how they picture him. Did you know there's actually no verse in the Bible that actually depicts him like that? There, you really wouldn't Think of him in that way just by reading the Bible. That's just from people drawing cartoons. Now, what did he look like when God made him? Now, what he looks like now, right? There's even other things that he can look like. In uh, Second Corinthians, it says he can appear as an angel of light. So he can show up and look like a very beautiful angel. But that's just on the outside. Inside, he has a very dark and wicked heart. But what did he look like when God created him? Right? This is before he fell. So I'm gonna give you the verse here on the screen and then I'm gonna give you one more slide to go with this. And you guys forgive me, I, I looked and looked and looked for a proper picture that I thought came close to what we're gonna read about. And this was the closest thing I could come to and I, it, it wasn't a very big picture. So forgive me, I know that's kind of small, but I hope you can see there in that little circle, you have a picture of this very handsome being, this very handsome creature. Kind of has the shape of a man, but then he has these jewels all over him. So Ezekiel 28, verse 13, there's a verse with the picture, and then I also have the verse on the side here. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now that takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, where we read about the serpent going into the garden. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the Sardius, Topaz, and the diamond. "...the barrel, the onks, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. All very precious metals, precious jewels. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created." So inside the devil, he had pipes. Those are wind instruments. And tabrets, those are string instruments like a piano, a guitar, a ukulele, um, those type of instruments. This is what makes some people say the devil had the most beautiful voice in heaven, so he led the choir in heaven. Now, there's really no other verse that would tell us that he did that, but this verse would indicate he was at least uh, suited for that job. Now, when God made Satan, right? people say that in the beginning his name was Lucifer, and I'm sure that's true but there is no indication that he had one name in the beginning and after he fell, he got another name. Uh, their other names would become applicable like devil and so forth after he falls. But in the beginning, I'm, I'm not sure which, what name he had. There's no indication that he looked like a serpent while he was up in heaven. There's several indications that he does have this man-like body, but he's, not, he's much more than just a man. He's much more than an angel. The Bible says in verse 14, he's a cherub. Look at verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So he actually hovered above the throne of God in the beginning. So we don't have a lot of details, but as best we can see, his body somehow was covered with all these stones. Now, were the stones part of his body? Did his body sparkle and shine when the light hit it? Or was this like a shirt or a vest that he put on, because these same jewels were used in the ephod, that is the the chest covering that the high priest wore for the Jewish people. So some people draw it kind of like you see on the screen, where it's just this thing that laid over um, Lucifer's chest. Now, to be honest, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think the picture below me does a decent job of of including these stones, I think this is how he looked in the very beginning. He was incredibly beautiful, incredibly wise, had a beautiful voice. He was a very attractive being. And this is why I think in the beginning, there were, when well, let's say when the devil fell, that certain other angels then were emboldened. They said, well, if this great being, this great creature would leave heaven, maybe we can also do it And they left with him. So in verse 15, you can see here, it says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So he was the whole package. He was. Incredibly smart, incredibly beautiful. And sometimes that leads to your destruction. And that's what happened with with the devil. Okay, so I'm afraid I can't really give a, a thorough, a complete answer on that, but that's the best I can do. All right. The next question, also about the devil. If Satan knew that he would be overthrown by God one day, why did he still go against God? Great question. Great question. And actually, I think in order to understand the answer, we have to go back to the question here. If Satan knew that he would be overthrown, we need to ask another question. Did Satan know that he would be overthrown by God one day? And uh, I don't think he did. I think that the devil was convinced that he could win, that he could stand up to God and say, God, uh, you've made me so beautiful, so talented, so smart. I think the devil was, oh, I know he was very proud and he actually thought I could do a better job of running the universe than God. And he was convinced that he could take over. Even though we have a Bible, filled with prophecies that says he's going to lose. His heart is so hard, it's been made hard from pride, that he really thinks he can win, even though God has said he's going to lose. Now, there's a verse in the book of Job. And Job chapter 41, the whole chapter is about this creature called Leviathan. And Leviathan is a sea creature. It looks like a big dragon. Now, when you read in Revelation, Revelation 12, Revelation 16, you read about a great red dragon, has seven heads and ten horns. on. Now, that is the devil. It's a picture of the devil, one of his forms. What we have in the book of Job, this Leviathan, it doesn't say that it has seven heads, but it is a large dragon-like sea creature. And many people have said that this is one of the forms of the devil. Now, I don't know if we can prove that with what we read here, But Job 41 does an excellent job of describing, obviously, Leviathan and that sea creature. But I think there are many of these things that are also true of the devil. So notice what it says here in verse 24. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. Now, the nether millstone, all day long, people would uh, would hit it with another rock or another millstone, because it would be grinding corn. So that nether millstone was very, very hard. So that's why the author uses that analogy to say, this creature's heart is so hard. It is like the hardest thing you can find uh, in our daily lives. This te- this this shows me something, that the devil's heart must be incredibly hard. So even though God says, you're going to fail, he says, I don't think so. I think I'm going to win anyway. Uh, let me show you a verse here in Isaiah chapter... 14. This many people, when they read this, they think it's talking about what happened in the past. It's not. This is actually something that's going to happen in the future. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou, how art thou cut down to the ground, which which didst weaken the nations? Now you know that 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 verse is not talking about what happened in the past because it says he weakened the nations. There were no nations in the past, right? Before God created everybody. So this has to be talking about something in the future. And it's actually talking about something that will happen during the tribulation time. Verse 13, he says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The devil is convinced that he's going to pull it off. He is going to try to get everybody to worship him. So I don't think that the devil knew from the start that God's going to win. And I think even now, even though Jesus did come and die. And all the prophecies have been fulfilled. And everything would lead us to believe that the Bible is true. The devil still says, well, maybe I can work real hard and overthrow it all. So I don't think he's convinced that he's going to be overthrown one day. But even if he is convinced, he might be saying, well, even though I'm going to lose, I hate God so much. I'm so envious of him. I'm still just going to try to be as much of a problem as I can be because he's that hard-hearted, he's that wicked. All right, that's a good question. I hope that answers it. It, Please, guys, if any of this, if you want more information on it, use that chat section, hey? If anybody has any extra questions, throw them in there. All right, next question. This was an interesting one. I had to think about this for a bit. Why do people burn in hell and not in heaven? Interesting, Um, something I've never thought about. So why, why create? a place called hell, why make people burn there? Not to be honest, I'm not precisely sh- sure what you're asking here. If you're asking about the placement of the fire or why does God use fire or why does God punish it? So please let me know if I'm not answering precisely what you're wondering about. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says this, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What I want you to see there is when God made the, the fires of hell, the lake of fire, he did not intend for any human being to go there. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So let's, let's properly understand this. Hell is located in the center of the earth. And when somebody goes to hell, they do suffer. They are It's like a prison. They're held behind bars and they're chained up. And there is fire there that torments them. But nobody stays in hell forever. One day, everybody's going to get out of hell. Everybody that's there, they all get out. And when they get out, Revelation 20 and verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Because a lot of people have died in the water, right? Especially in the time of Noah. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, did you see at the end of verse 13, or rather I should say the middle, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So nobody stays in hell forever. They get out of hell and they stand before God at the judgment. And then after God judges them, because they were never saved, they are then told, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. And they go into this lake of fire. Now, that is punishment, no doubt. But the other part of this punishment is they don't get to live in God's presence. And that is why you can't have people burning in heaven. Part of the punishment is you don't get to be around God. And that that tells us that part of the blessing, part of the reward, part of the gift that God has given us is that we get to live in his presence, not only now spiritually, but one day physically, we get to be in the presence of God. And once we are in his presence, we never have to leave his presence, which is just an outstanding promise. Let me show you where we get that promise. First Thessalonians 4 verse 17 Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So one of the blessings that comes with being saved is you get to be in God's presence forever. But That that means if you turn that coin over, the other side of that coin is if you don't get saved, you don't get to be in God's presence ever. So the lake of fire, the Bible says is without. Let me show you that. Revelation 22, you can see here in verse 14, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. That's New Jerusalem. That's where we live forever. Verse 15, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. They are without. They are outside of the city, and they are away from God's presence, right? So that's why people, when they're suffering and being punished for their sins, they can't be in God's presence. It wouldn't be a full punishment if they were. All right, next question. Why did God create people if he knew they would sin? Boy, that's a deep one. That's a very good question. Lots of people have asked this before. Is the same reason your mom and dad decided to bring you into the world? They knew, I knew, Whenever we, I have three kids and I knew before each one of them were born that at some point, they would break my heart. At some point, they would do something wrong. They would be disobedient. There would be a time where I would have to get onto them and say, why are you doing that? Maybe even punish them. I don't want to. I don't like doing that. But they're human. And I know they're going to make mistakes. But the love and the joy of having them around, the love that I get to share with them is worth any potential mistake. Now, my kids don't have to do bad things, right? It's their choice. And if they didn't have a choice, then they wouldn't be human. They would be a robot or a teddy bear (laughs) because robots and teddy bears, they only do what we make them do well then you really can't have a loving relationship with them because that teddy bear, does it can't make choices. That robot can't make choices. It does what you tell it to do. It doesn't have a choice of saying no. What makes love so special is when the other person chooses you instead of someone else. When they choose to do what you told them to do, that's what makes it so special. So God, when he created us, he had to give us a choice so that we could have a real, genuine, loving relationship with him. If he didn't give us a choice, then God's just playing with teddy bears and robots. And that's not real love. God made us so that he could enjoy us. Let me let me show you that in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. It says this, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For thy pleasure, God wants to enjoy us. Where does God find pleasure? It says here, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. What's faith? Faith is when God tells us something and we choose to believe it, but we have to have a choice. And if we have a choice to choose the right thing, that means there's also a choice and an opportunity to do the wrong thing. Otherwise, it's not a legitimate choice. So even though God knew people would sin, He created them because He knew the love that He could have with that human being would be so special that it was worth taking that chance. And God knew that if people would sin, then He was willing to send His Son to die for their sins so that the relationship that he wanted could still be possible? It's a very good question, right? D has a couple of questions. Let me read them here. When God made us, did he name our, you know what? I'm gonna use my new trick here and see if I can put this on the screen. There we go. I hope everybody can see that. When God made us, did he name our body parts, mouth, eyes, or people gave them names? Hmm, all right. hmm, 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 hmm. That's a good question. Not sure I have a great answer. I don't, I can't think of any verse where God said, now Adam, call this a hand and call this an eye. It seems as if God made man with an innate knowledge of certain things. It seems that way, seems that way. I'm gonna put her next question up here. Where do things get their names? Chair, stove, pillows, animals, everything in the world. I think that follow-up question to that. So let me take you to this verse. As far as the names of our body parts or the names of furniture or cars or just the things in the world, the rocks, the mountains, where do they get their names? Let's, Let's turn you to this, Genesis 2 verse 19. It says here, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now, now, see, this isn't like hand, eye. This isn't a rock. These are the animals. So I don't know if what we're reading here only applies to the animals or does it apply to everything that we can see? I don't know. Verse 20, And, and Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. So Adam needed a helper. He wasn't... He wasn't enough by himself. He needed some help. Guys, we need help. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, verse 22, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Watch this now. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So womb, womb, man, out of the womb of a man. So that's where we get the term woman. Adam gave her that name. Now these, this applies to the living creatures. Does it apply to non-living entities like rocks or chairs? Does it apply to body parts? I, it doesn't say that Adam was given that privilege of naming those things, but it's a possibility. These these are the verses that I think of that would come closest to answering that question. All right, next question. Why did Jesus wait... D, thank you for that one, by the way. Why did Jesus wait so long to come to earth and die for our sins? All right, this is a great question. I've been asked this by several people in the past, and I'm going to give you the same answer. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why he chose that specific time. Why not come in the days of Noah, right? Why not come right after Adam sinned. And and the answer is God knows I don't, and he didn't explain why this time and not that time. But I do know that God chose a specific time. Let me give you a couple verses that shows that. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So the fullness of the time. So it's as if God had a calendar and a clock and said, when the days of the calendar are are done and the clock hits this time, I'm gonna send forth my son. It appears that way. Now, why did God choose that particular time? He doesn't tell us. We can guess. There are some good guesses as to why he chose the time that he did because right when Jesus came, the world was in such a condition that if you wanted to send a message from one country to the next, it could make it there quickly. If you wanted to travel from one country to the next, you could do so quite easily. Now, you could do it before, but it wasn't as easy. So this means that when Jesus came, it was just the right time that his message of the gospel could go far and wide very quickly and knowledge of what he had done, his death, his burial, and resurrection, could be spread very quickly Whereas if he had come, let's say 500 years before that, it wouldn't have spread as quickly as far as we can tell. So, that, But that's just an educated guess. That's not a verse in the Bible that says that. I am um, I'm, I'm brought you to this verse, I actually want verse six here, but verse five is also good. But it says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So there was a due time, a set time, but notice, the purpose here, to be testified. Which is why I think the idea of waiting for the world to be in such a condition where the message can go out quickly, far and wide, it, that would make sense as to why God waits but, or, or waited. But that's as close as I can come with a Bible verse to answering that question. But it's a very good question. One of these days when we get to heaven, that'll be a good question to ask him. All right, I like this question here. Why doesn't God show himself like he used to? Great question. Now, the person who asked this actually gave like an example to this in the parentheses that said, you know, like the burning bush. So that's why I've chosen the picture that I have. And I like this picture because you have Moses standing there. Now I think whoever drew this was trying to show Moses maybe worshiping, but it kind of looks like he's saying, why don't you show up like this all the time? So I I like the picture has a dual purpose for me. So why doesn't God show up in a burning bush? Why doesn't he come down on mountains like he did with Mount Sinai? Why doesn't he send chariots of fire like he did for Elijah and part Red Seas and all of those things? Why doesn't he do that anymore? Well, you know, he doesn't do those same things. That's true. It's not that he can't. I think one day he's going to do something even more impressive. That is, millions of people will disappear at once, taken up. In the rapture, I think that'll be pretty impressive. But why doesn't he show himself to individuals the same way? Well, he doesn't do it outwardly, but we have a promise here that he does it inwardly. John 14 and 21, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I'll show myself to him. Verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, a different Judas. Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Why? Because in the Old Testament, when God showed himself to people, he did it in this big way so that lots of people could see it. So Judas is saying, but Lord, how are you going to hide this big thing? Jesus answers in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him. And make our abode with him. He says, I'll come to that individual and I will dwell in him. So what happens in in our time? We also get to experience the presence of God. But it's something individually that happens and it happens inside of us. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And will sup with him and he with me. So God may not show himself the same way that he used to, but he does reveal himself to us in a very close, intimate, special way in our hearts through the Bible, uh, through those kind of things. Now, I want to give you another verse about this because it's an excellent question. There's another way that God shows himself outwardly, and it's not a burning bush, but it's kind of like it. Look at this. Ephesians 2, I want verse 20, starting in verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So all the saved people, we make up what is called the church, and God manifests his presence through the church to the world. The world is supposed to be able to see God in us, not only as individuals, but in how we work together as a church. And when a church works together properly, loving each other, helping each other, that should be something that the world takes notice of and says, wow, we don't have that out here in the world. Those people there in that church, they really love each other in a special Jesus-like way. That's why Jesus said, If you have love one to another, that's how people will know you're my disciples. So we do have a way that God can show himself to us. It's just not in those big, fantastic ways like we read about in the Old Testament, but still special and legitimate ways. Great question. Man, these are good. How many angels does God have? I don't know. I have no idea. The other night I taught that lesson about UFOs and I even raised that question. Uh, about how many angels there might be. And I don't know. I don't know. Let me see if I can guess the verse here. No, I'm a little too high up there. Um, Yeah, Hebrews 12, verse 22. It says here, But ye are come unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, now we notice this last phrase here, to an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable, which means you cannot number them. So, there are too many. (laughs) There's a lot of them. Uh, The Bible, well, not the Bible, I'm sorry. The world tells us that there are about 7 point, I think it's like 5 billion people. That number changes from day to day, obviously. But we can count the people on earth. But this group, it says it's innumerable. So, if there are 7 billion people on earth, I'm going to say that there has to be at least that many angels. And here's why I say that. In Matthew 18... Jesus talked about how every child has an angel that stands before their father, uh, before the father in heaven on behalf of that child. So, you kids that are listening, you should know that you have somebody up in heaven, not just Jesus. He's obviously concerned about you and thinks about you, prays for you, but look at this Matthew 18 verse 10 Jesus said take heed that you despise not one of these little ones for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of their of my father which is in heaven so you have a guardian angel looking over you god has set it up like that now this verse doesn't say that every kid has their own has his own angel or her own angel but if they did that means there has to be at least what 7 billion <laughs> so it's a, it's a good question. I'm afraid I don't have a great answer other than to say there's a whole lot of them. A whole lot of them. All right. Next question. I actually put two things up here. I use this as a uh, uh, reader board in America. If you drive up and down the streets in America, you'll often see these things. I think, you know, there are some in South Africa, just not a lot, but I, I do see these from time to time these, these boards. Give Satan an inch and he will be a ruler. Now that may not mean a lot if you use the metric system, but in America, there are 12 inches to a foot, and that is often how long our rulers are in America. We have 12 inch rulers, which is a one foot ruler. So that's where this sign comes from. Give Satan an inch and he will be a ruler. So if you give him just one little bit, he'll take the rest of it and become the whole thing. Now, I put that up there because um, of, of the question I got, how did Satan start evil? So I think what's being asked here is, is how did he introduce sin into the world? All right. So let's look at what Jesus said about this. John eight in verse 44, Jesus says, "'Ye are of your father, the devil, "'and the lusts of your father ye will do. "'You'll do what he desires. "'He was a murderer from the beginning "'and abode not in the truth, "'because there's no truth in him. "'When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, who did he murder? Who did he kill? Adam and Eve. How did he do it? By lying to them. And he didn't murder them physically. He, murdered, he killed them spiritually. He took Adam and Eve had a spiritual connection with God. And when the devil deceived them and, and made them believe a lie, it got them to sin and then once Adam and Eve sinned, they lost that connection with God, which is what true life actually is. Real life is being connected to God, walking with him. Adam and Eve lost that, and hence they died. They died spiritually. So how did the devil do it? How did he lie to him? Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he asked her a Bible question. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Well, now she misquoted it. God never said you couldn't touch it. She added that. And then she says at the end, lest ye die. God said, Ye shall surely die. He emphasized it. She didn't. Verse four, the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. You see, the devil knew what the verse should say. But then he added one little word, not. Ye shall not surely die. So the devil made them think, or made Eve at least think, that you can disobey God and there will be no consequences. It's okay. You can do whatever you want and no one's gonna punish you. Whatever you do will always be right. That's a lie. It's not true. There are consequences for bad behavior. Verse five, the devil tells another lie here. Well, actually he tells a truth and then a lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Now, did God know that? Did God know that when they eat the fruit, they'll be as gods knowing good and evil? Yes, God knew that. The lie though that he mixed with it is you'll not surely die. So the devil tells a lie and then puts some truth on top so that the lie doesn't look so bad. And the people chose to believe the devil instead of God. God said, you'll die. The devil said, you can do whatever you want and get away with it. God just made this rule because he's trying to keep you down and stop you from having fun and stop you from getting to have your way. Kids, listen to that. When mom and dad makes rules, they're doing that to help you, not to hurt you don't don't fall for the devil's tricks say well you know mom and dad just don't want you to have fun no they're trying to protect you they're trying to help you but that's how he started evil he got them to doubt what god said that's why it's so important to believe the bible all right we got another question here let me pop it up on the screen cabelo is asking with regard to guardian angels does every individual that lived lives and will live have their own guardian angel or people alive today share an angel with someone that has passed? Yeah, I'm not precisely sure, Cabello, how the angelic protection works. If everybody has their own individual angel, and when a new person comes into the world, does God create another angel to go with that? I don't know. I don't know. It could be that one angel watches over 100 people. I I don't know. I have no idea. So it's a good question, legitimate question. I'm afraid I'm no help on that, though. All right, uh, this is... I think our last question. Yeah, hey, we're doing pretty good. Almost done with the hour too. If anybody has any extra questions, please slip them in just now. All right, here's the last question. Why do some preachers say things like you have to pray five times a day in order to be saved? All right, let me see how many people we got watching. All right, we got a few people tuning in. Let me ask if anybody can put it into the chat section, which religion says this? I'm curious if you know. And moms and dads, let your kids answer first, right? And if we don't have any kids answer, then you you can step up if you know. But why do some preachers say things like, you have to pray five times a day in order to be saved? Now, let, let's let's break it into two categories. Some people lie, right? When they're standing up to preach, they tell lies and they know they're lying. But they keep telling the lies because it makes them famous or and or they get a lot of money from telling those lies. There are preachers that do that, unfortunately. 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, talking about preachers here, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So they know what they're saying is wrong, they keep saying it anyway. Because it keeps the people, um, how can I say it in a simple way? It keeps the people obedient to them, which keeps them exalted, makes them look like a big shot. And then they can tell the people, give me money, and then I give it, and they get rich, and they get famous. So they keep telling lies. Now, some preachers are like that. Not all. Some preachers, they say things like you have to pray five times a day to be saved. Uh, Sometimes they say, like in verse 3, you're not allowed to get married, or you're not allowed to eat certain meats, or you have to worship on the Sabbath day. A lot of preachers say a lot of wrong things. And... Many times, the preachers that are saying those things are not trying to deceive anyone. They're not trying to lie. They are convinced that what they're saying is right, but they've been misled. They've never, in a lot of these cases, no one has ever sat down with a Bible and showed them that what they're saying is not true for this present time. What you'll often find is somebody takes a verse from the Old Testament, That was given to Jewish people and says that you and I today in the church, we have to do those Old Testament things. That's not true. That's not true. They said, but you have to be, you have to have this Jewish culture in order to be good Christians. That's not true. Why did they say it? Someone else has shown them a few verses and they got confused and they think it's true. And now they're telling people this. All right, we got another Question here, Rion, we're going to come to that question just a, just a moment. Zach and Xander are chiming in here. So let's continue on with this. Does anybody know which religion tells people they have to pray five times a day? Now, we haven't had any kids speak up on this. So moms and dads, if you know, go ahead and slip it into the chat section just now before I come to a close on this question. So why do preachers say it? Well, some are purposely lying to get rich and famous. Uh, others genuinely think that it's true, but they're just deceived. They... they no one's told them any different, so therefore they're going forward with it. Now, this particular preacher, I'm, I'm giving it just a second to see if anybody knows which religion this is. Yeah, Sean, you're right, it's Islam. Islam is the, oh, now, now we got several people popping up here. We got Islam, we got Islam. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, the reason that in this case, Muhammad, he told the people he have to pray, pray five times a day. It's actually a very interesting story but he claims that he got taken up into seven different levels of heaven, seven different heavens. And as he was going up through these levels of heavens, he met all these great prophets from the past. He met Adam, he met Abraham, he met Jesus, he met John the Baptist, he met Moses. Uh, And he goes on up and it gets to the very top, I think Abraham, That's it was in the seventh heaven. And then after he gets up into that, he, he goes in to see God and God tells him, you guys have to pray 50 times a day. And when he's, Muhammad's coming back down through the heavens, he stops there by Moses and says, uh, Moses asked him, what, what did God tell you? He said, told us to pray 50 times a day. He said, oh, that's too much. Go back up, renegotiate, and and ask him to, to knock that down a bit. So he negotiates, and finally they end up on five times. And Muhammad even told the Lord, I think that's too much, but five, five will be. We'll work. We'll make that work. So then he comes down and he tells the people, guys, we have to pray five times a day. Now, I don't think, I I think Muhammad, I would like to say that that didn't happen, right? But maybe in his mind it did. Maybe he had a dream or something and to him it was very real. But just because he had this dream or this vision, it doesn't mean that God actually told him to do that. So this is why we want to take every message that somebody preaches and test it with the Bible. Because the things in the Bible, we have proven them to be true. It's not just somebody said it and therefore we believe it. We actually test it and compare it to other things and look back in history books and dig things up in the earth, archaeological stuff. And we find that, yeah, these things are actually based in reality. These things are actually true. All right, so here's one more question that has come in. Zach and Xander have given us this one. Good evening. When did the dinosaurs die out? Was this during the flood with Noah? Uh, yes, yes, but in a very technical way, dinosaurs haven't died out. Now, there, there's actually some discussion on this, right? There, evidently, evidently, there is, there are rumors that there are things that would resemble a dinosaur that still exists in the um, jungles of uh, south america i've only heard about this i've seen a few pictures they're not super clear so i'm not going to jump on board with that uh, completely but dinosaurs like the tyrannosaurus rex the t-rex the uh forgive me the triceratops those kind of dinosaurs i i believe that they did exist at one time i don't know if science has accurately drawn them but i do think that those creatures lived at one point Uh, You're going to find them mentioned in a couple of places in the Bible. Job chapter 40 and verse 15. Now, just for the sake of time, I won't read all the verses, but you start here, verse 15. This behemoth. Behemoth is a Hebrew word that had no English equivalent. So when the translators were writing this in English, they just took the Hebrew word and wrote it with English letters and said behemoth, because we don't know what this is. But when you read the description, I think they're describing a dinosaur, to be honest with you. Now, if you take an iguana, an iguana can live 50, 60 years from what I've read. An iguana never stops growing while it's alive. So some iguanas can grow up to be over a meter long, right, they get pretty big. Now imagine if an iguana would grow for 600 years, not just 60. Well, if it can grow up to a meter in 60 years, how many meters big would this be in 600 years? You say, but, but pastor, is it possible that they could live that long? Before the flood, people did live that long. And we can only assume that animals also were living longer. That is a very fair assumption. So if that's the case, you have an iguanasaurus. And this thing could grow and grow and get very big. So did Noah put dinosaurs in the ark? Right, Because he did take two and two. Did he put dinosaurs in the ark? Baby ones, small ones, small little iguanas, right? What, whatever that specific thing was that grew into those big dinosaurs that they eventually found bones for later on, I do think that Noah put them in the ark. They just weren't full grown. As a matter of fact, the, the people that study this, when you look at the average size of a dinosaur, when you look at all the bones, all the fossils, there are some small, some very massive. But we think of dinosaurs as these huge creatures bigger than our house. In actuality, the average size of a dinosaur was the size of a sheep. So if you next time you drive by a field with sheep in it, you go, ah, there's the dinosaurs, right? <laughs> That's the size of it, the average size. So it's very possible Noah had some in the Ark. But then afterwards, the big ones that we know about, they just didn't live long enough to grow to that size. So hope that answers the question. Very good question. All right, guys, that's it. I appreciate all the time we got to spend together tonight. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. If anybody does want to slip something else in, you're more than welcome. But I appreciate you making time to be with us for the question and answer. All right, Father, thank you tonight. What, what excellent questions, Lord. I do pray you'd help these kids that have put forth these questions, uh, Lord, to find an interest in the Bible, to, to read it, to seek out the answers. And Lord, as the years go on, would you always add to their knowledge of you and how they can interact with their friends, with their family, and how they can make a difference in this world for your sake. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. Lord, we don't know why you chose that specific time, but we are glad that you did. And help us, Lord, every day to love you more and more and to show it more and more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good deal. I'm just checking one more time for questions. I don't see anything extra. Cabello, you're welcome. You guys have a great night. Lord willing. Uh, I'll see a lot of you on Thursday, or some of you rather, on Thursday for a small group meeting. Otherwise, have a great week.